Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi, the book of Philippians, the third chapter, beginning to read at the twelfth verse. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature be thus minded. And if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brethren, join in imitating me, and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our commonwealth is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. For those of us who live in the 20th century, it is very difficult for us to believe that God speaks as clearly and as loudly to us as he did to people 2,000 and 4,000 years ago. It's much easier, isn't it, for us to believe that God had a method then that he used in speaking to Abram and to Paul and to Jesus, a method that was more effective and one which he no longer uses today in 1977. That's the way most of us believe, but I don't believe it. Granted, the times have moved forward, the places are different, names are changed, but the method, the method that God uses in calling people to daring faith is exactly the same today as it was in the year of the first century or in 2000 B.C. It's the same, I believe. God may not appear that way to us, but I believe he is still calling, still speaking, still daring us to get up out of our seats and to do something for his kingdom. He's daring us to use our faith. Now, the process, as I see it from study of Scripture, is rather simple, though perhaps a little complicated. For a person to have daring faith, 
I think we must go through the same process that Abram, that Paul, and other Christians who have had daring faith have had to go through. And I see daring faith beginning way back with that little seed of what I have chosen to call disturbing revelation. That's where it all begins. A person's daring faith begins when, first of all, in his private prayer life, in discussion with friends, sometimes sitting in church, he gets an idea that disturbs him. He can't tell you where the idea comes from, but suddenly he is confronted with a concept, an idea, a thought, and it disturbs him. It disturbs him. You see, that, that's the way it came to Abram, and if you study those chapters in Genesis, the 12th through the 22nd chapters, I think you begin to see this in this individual whom we call the father of the faithful, the leader of our family. Why does a man who is 75 years old, and that's how old he was there in the earth of Chaldees, a man who is very prosperous, and Abram was rich, a man who was living in the country of his forefathers, who lived in the wealth of the Chaldeans, why did this man at such an old age suddenly feel that he had to get up out of the earth of Chaldees and go to a new land? I present to you the idea that God did not come to him in the twinkling of an eye or in the quickness of a flash, but for a long time God had been disturbing this man. God had been working through what was happening in government. God was happening what was was working through what was happening in his family. Here was a man of affluence. And I think when he got to that age, he suddenly realized everything that he had been fighting for was really not as great as it had been blown up to be. I think he really was dissatisfied with himself and with his peers, and he really thought that life should have something more than what he had found in all of his affluence. I think he was really beginning to question if this was what it was all about. God had been working in his life and disturbing him with all types of revelation. I, th I think Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where we have the roll call of faith, you know, it said, Abram went out looking forward to the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. To me, that says an awful lot. Abram was dissatisfied. He was fed up. He was tired. I know his brother had died already. Maybe that's one of the things that had caused Abram to want to get away. But he interpreted this all as a call from God to go out and do something. And it came through disturbing revelation. And that's the way God promotes us to get involved in daring faith today. He disturbs us. Now, that's not something we're very proud of, and sometimes I think God can even use the poorest of motivations to get us to act daringly. 
I read the story about a man who was seen coming out of the woods and jumping into a great big pond filled with crocodiles and he swam and he swam escaping for his life and he triumphantly emerged victoriously on the other side and someone who had watched the whole event said, my, I have never in all of my life seen such a brave act as this. He says, oh, really, it's not. You just couldn't see the lions that were chasing me in the forest on the other side. Sometimes, you see, I think we're really forced into doing daring, triumphant, victorious things because we're being chased from the other side. I really believe God doesn't send them, but God uses the disturbance of the lions behind us to force us into looking for the city that has a foundation whose builder and maker is God. That's the way it starts. An idea that disturbs, that upsets. And one of the things that I find so exciting in these spring days of 1977, disturbing to me because it's not only exciting, but it's causing some ripples. <laughs> You're getting upset, disturbed. Things in government, in politics, things at home. Things are happening that are making some of you take a good hard look at your value system. You really begin to wonder, is it all worth it? Am I on the right track? Is there not something more in life for me? Is not God calling me and speaking to me to do something daring, adventuresome, meaningful for his world. That's happening. It's happening in some of your lives. You've shared it with me. I know it. And that's exciting. But disturbing. Ah, oh, yes. Disturbing revelation is never easy. You see, so many of us are under the lone concept that God alone is here to comfort the disturbed, and we forget that he's here also to disturb the comfortable. It's a two-edged sword. And by the power of his spirit, he's doing it. Right here. Right here. That's exciting. Exciting. Disturbing, but exciting. And that's how God starts an individual on his pilgrimage of daring faith. And then he moves him into a second step, I find. A second step that is not always as welcomed nor understood. It comes in the form of what I call growing self-confidence. Yes, it's strange how God smites you with an idea and disturbs you, and then suddenly you come to the realization, well, doggone it, I can do something about it. And if you live with that long enough, and I think Abram lived many, many a year with that Question: Can he or can he not? And then finally he came to the conviction he could do something about it. He found himself in what I call growing self-confidence. You see, you can't do much for the kingdom with your idea that has disturbed you unless you really believe you've got something. That you have something that really matters to God's self and everybody else. That's the kind of guy... Paul was. 
Paul? Paul was so self-sure of himself. Did you read what we read together here? Paul was so sure of himself that when he wrote to the church at Philippi, he says, imitate me. Most we hear preachers saying, I don't do what I do, you do what I say. But here's Paul saying, follow me. Look to me as an example. I am your model. Follow me. Now, I find Presbyterians don't like to hear that. It sounds so authoritarian, so sure. A lot of church people don't like that. You know, I hope I'm not disillusioning you who, who appreciate Paul as much as I do, and I really appreciate him. But you know, this individual who, who wrote most of the New Testament... This individual who was the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. This individual whom we have given the honor of sainthood by calling him St. Paul. This individual who probably has done more for the Christian cause in establishing systematic theology, taking the life of Jesus and putting it in some systematic thought. This man who has done more than anybody else in 2,000 years in the history of our faith. This man whom we put in stained glass windows. This man whom we respect so much in our faith. You know, I think if it was really possible for us to call him back from time and bring him here on the staff of Bakerstown Church and let him serve as one of your pastors, you know, I guarantee you within six weeks, my phone and the phone of every elder in this church who is on session would be ringing off the hook to get rid of that guy. That's right. If Paul walked in here in the flesh, I don't think you would like him. Arrogant, somewhat conceited, prejudiced, he had a definite bias, opinionated, strong-willed, and an individual who was not easily defeated. And he spoke his peace. And I find most Presbyterians don't appreciate a Christian like that. That's too bad. Because, you see, no matter what you think of Paul, remember this. We didn't choose him. God chose him. There were many people walking that Damascus turnpike that day that God could have struck down with a revelation of disturbance that God chose in his providence and wisdom to knock down Saul, who he turned into Paul. Do you see what I'm trying to say? There are times in history when God needs that kind of leadership. And I believe it's being revealed unto us he needs that kind of leadership today. I think the church needs to really examine their model of leadership. I think it's about time we realize we're not going to get very far by being wishy-washy and saying around the coffee clutches and in the small discussion groups, it doesn't matter what you believe, believe anything you want. I don't want to get involved in discussions of religion. Don't push me on commitment. We couldn't build a doghouse with that kind of philosophy, let alone build the kingdom of God here on earth. 
Listen to Paul. God works for the good in all things. There's not a question in his mind. I know whom I have believed. The greatest thing in the love, the greatest thing in the world is love. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Not a question in his mind. And I, he says, I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Imitate me. Follow me. starts out here with a disturbing idea that comes into your mind and into your heart. It grows when you have confidence that God is speaking to you. See, the problem with Presbyterians is not that they do not believe in God, it's that they do not believe that God is working through them today. And He is. And you gain with growing self-confidence, humbly, but you say with Paul, I know whom I believe. The third step is what I call an undefeatable courage. Undefeatable courage. It's illustrated best by little Johnny. I've told, about, told you about him before. Sixth grade, he's standing up in the classroom and the teacher says, Johnny, sit down. No, I'm not going to do it. He says, sit down, Johnny. No, I'm not, ma'am. Johnny, if you don't sit down, I'll put you down. He says, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm still standing. She goes over, grabs him by the arms, and pushes him down and says, there. I hope you're satisfied, Johnny. And he looked up at her. Teacher, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. Church is missing that today. The kingdom can't get along without it. Otherwise, in your self-confidence, which has come out of disturbing revelation, the first time an ill wind comes, you're going to fold. <laughs> Happens to all of them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Saul, all of them, all of them, all of them felt that there were moments when they were wrong. Their enemies, they rejoiced when they saw they were going to be defeated. Their friends said, you're stupid and foolish to do it. Family... Even the family of Jesus thought he was a little demented. Even Jesus on the cross, when he crawled up there, I think he even began to question whether or not he was right in his self-confidence. And when he cried out, Eli, Eli, Alama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why? He was even questioning himself. But thank God, the record doesn't end there. The Good Friday siege ends when Jesus said, Into thy, my, into thy hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Mm -hmm. You see? Undefeatable courage. That's what does it. When you don't give up. No matter what family, friends, opposition, or yourself might think, you don't give up. And when you put those three component parts together, you have daring faith. And you do wonderful things for the kingdom. You see, every one of us who is employed here today, every one of us who is employed, do you realize we are a part of either a family business, a big corporation, an institution like a church or a school, and we get our paycheck from that particular place of employment. And a place of employment that began, remember, it began with a single idea in the mind of one individual. One man was disturbed enough, or one person disturbed enough, that he or she felt something should be done, and they went 
and they believed in themselves, and with undefeatable courage, they went. And today, you and I earn our livelihood, support our families, give to this church, and live luxuriously because of an idea in one person's mind. I am of a fond belief that God is bombarding us, you and me, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with ideas to disturb us and to get us moving. And I'm so sure of myself as I stand before you here today with that idea that I believe right now in this church, God, who has been disturbing some of you for some time, is disturbing you enough that you're going to step out in self-confidence to say, I'm going with undefeatable courage to take that idea and run with it from this day on. It's threatening, isn't it? But it's happening. I'm sure of it. I'm just as sure as I'm breathing this very moment. God yet waits to see, as does the world, what the Lord can do with an individual, one individual, who will do the will of God. And that individual may be here today. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, you have created us just not to take up time or space or to spend our time in idle gossip. But you've blessed us with this day as you have every day to prepare us for some mission here on earth. We've sung triumphantly about the faith of our fathers. Father, help us to have the courage to use daring faith so that someday people may be singing praises and giving thanksgiving for what you were able to do through our daring faith. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be alive, excited at this important time of history, and for giving us this little nudge to get involved. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.